This is the Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror films. My name is Marshall Smith. Horror films are phenomenal texts for sociological discussion because the genre is built on living at the extremes. And the extremes for me, whether it's human behavior or values or emotion or whatever it is, the extremes are where we get to literally and figuratively explore the limits of an argument. We get to force the issue. And that's really what I enjoy doing. (laughs) I love that. And, and I also think that the genre is built around experiencing pain and sometimes pain is very, very important to the arguments that you're trying to make. And so as I talk about in this podcast, you know, dragging yourself through the suffering is a really important piece of understanding other people's positions and understanding arguments that are based on you should. So yeah, I love it. I love horror. I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado at Boulder. And yeah, this is, this is a fun one to talk about because it really isn't horror but in so many ways, it touches on so many of the issues that we have talked about with other horror films. So this ended up being great fodder for discussion. Yeah, I really appreciate what you said about pain and, and pain being a crucial component of producing empathy. That's something I think I want to revisit more uh, as, we've, as we continue to do these. So what we do is every week we choose a specific horror film and we watch it. And then very soon after we finish watching it, we do an in-depth discussion of the film. Anything and everything is, is on the table. We're mostly concerned with considering it in terms of the messages it conveys, the ideology, the values, what it's presenting as good versus evil or, or not. Entertainment kind of critique is not really the the focus of our of our podcast but we hope you appreciate our conversation and learn something along the way this week we chose the film promising young woman 2020 written and directed by emerald fennel fennel the synopsis on imdb is a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path which as IMDb synopses go, isn't significantly spoilerish. So that's cool. Uh, we will spoil the film. We would prefer not to spoil it for you. And so we strongly recommend you watch the film before you listen to our episode. It will also help because we dive in, as I said, in depth and often specific details pretty much immediately. So having the film fresh in your mind will hopefully help you follow with us on the, in the conversation. Um, This is a good one. And also one that would really suffer from being spoiled. So I will say more so than many of our episodes, if you plan on watching the film, I would watch it before you listen. 
Yes, seconded. And, oh, we also spoil, I, at the very end, I spoil Funny Games, the Haneke film from 1997, which is another film you should absolutely not let me spoil. I Spit on Your Grave is 1978. It's a film we really appreciated. We have an episode on that film that is one of our more most listened to episodes. And you could listen to the listen to this without it that being significant. Was there something else? I feel like there was, but I no, like I don't think so. We talked about the people under the stairs, but I don't yeah. think it was really spoiled. Not much. No. The comedian, but not yeah. no. All right. Well, that's what we think. We've spoiled. <laughs> I feel like there was one more. <laughs> I feel like there was two, Laura. I guess there's one more that I don't remember either. But we appreciate you listening. You can find our entire history of episodes on collectivenightmares.com. Subscribe, follow us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. We'd love it if you would like us or leave a review, even if it's just the stars. You don't have to do a whole full commentary or whatnot, but by all means, do that too. Or if you don't want to do any of that and you just want to tell somebody you know who's in your life who might also appreciate some sociological discussion and or some some discussion of of horror films please mention us and and spread the word i think i'm too drunk to do the podcast laura as long as you're awake i don't mind (laughs) that's okay that's okay i'll handle it all you just you just you just sit there and breathe so you watched friday i did yeah which I never do because I'm always so tired on Friday after the week with Noah, but I was awake this time. So yeah. Yeah. And this was not horror at all, but I do think it plays right into a conversation I wanted to have about horror films after the films we've been watching recently. So I feel like I can roll with this. I don't know how you feeling about conversation potential. I'm very much looking forward to it. I mean, I always am, but I've been back to thinking about rape revenge films for some reason. I'm trying to think of why that is, but anyway, First thing I'm going to say, which I think you'll probably agree, is for anybody listening, I I for sure will be spoiling the comedian episode of the new Twilight Zone, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, which was some episode in season one. It was the first episode, wasn't it? Was it really? Oh, maybe it, it was, because we did that to, to just because it was Peele and to see what it was about. And then I'm sure we'll be spoiling at least the original I Spit on Your Grave, if not other Spit on Your Grave iterations. The first one you should absolutely watch without letting us spoil it or before we spoil it. The rest of them, meh. (laughs) So I I just want to get that out of the way. What was the conversation that you thought we would be having? The conversation I wanted to have after what we've been watching recently, well, What I was hoping to do this week was to find a horror film that effectively used horror to make a point because that can be done and that that has been done really well. But I feel like a lot of the films we've watched recently haven't done that. Like we've been critiquing most of the paranormal, you know, the paranormal films that we've seen for various problematic ideologies that they're putting forth. And I'm not even entirely sure they're aware that they're putting them forth. And then there was People Under the Stairs which had a really important ideological point to make, but 
I think didn't didn't use the horror genre effectively to to make that point. We didn't suffer for the sake of the message in that film, and and suffering for the sake of the message is what I feel like horror really excels at. And so I was hoping to find something current and also something that would fall into that category because I miss it. I miss being miserable for a real good reason. <laughs> I guess that's what that's what horror is really great at, you know. And I feel like this film, even though it wasn't horror, it it did that a little bit, or it had some, some, there's some elements around that that I want to talk about. Well, that's interesting. Spoken, spoken like a true masochist, uh, uh, Laura, which I didn't, I guess I didn't necessarily think of you as. Oh, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I enjoy feeling empathy and I enjoy learning what other people's experiences feel like. And when those experiences are painful, I really appreciate it when a film just trudges you right through it because you come out the other end with a very different understanding of what it is that what it is that it means to suffer in a way that people are suffering if they can effectively make you hate it but anyway one of the things i said or didn't say was that it really needs to be a bad date movie people under the stairs it needs to be so uncomfortable because in that film like you're dealing with these issues of socioeconomic disparities and racism and things that are really painful and uncomfortable. And when you keep a horror film in the category of exciting chase scenes, which it basically did throughout most of the film, that's a good date movie. And you need to be like, not, you know, happily eating your popcorn. You need to stop eating the popcorn and have a little bit of a bad night that night because you saw the film. If it's going to deal with issues with that much gravity, the film just needs to, it needs to beat you up a little bit so that you, you feel the message. And that, that I guess, you were saying masochism. I don't think it's masochism. I think it's just to really effectively dig into some really important shoulds that horror films often, I mean, horror films often discuss should, right? I, sometimes in order to do that well, I think you really do need to feel some ick. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It makes me think of from a long time ago. <clears throat> uh that is exactly what happened with a friend of mine when we went and saw Monster. If you remember that film from a long time ago. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a friend who we, we dated off and on. And at some point, we just went to see a movie blind. And it was like an afternoon. It was like, oh, whatever. We got time to kill. It was actually in, in New York City. And uh, yeah, that was, the, that was the movie. And then, like you said, afterwards, it was like, well... Now there's nothing to say <laughs> or do about anything, really. I wonder if that's a film we could discuss for this. That's a pretty horrific film. Did you see that? That's a good idea. Yes, but a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that's it's a good idea. Almost 20, must be almost 20 years old now. Okay. If you want to take this somewhere else to start with, I'm totally fine with that. I'd just like to, I'd like to bring it back around at some point to a couple points on that front. Sure. I kind of liked it where we've been doing, where we've got like some general initial reactions and then we dig in. I think that is just a generally a good way to get for, I think that helps listeners. How about that? I think that helps anybody who would be on the outside, but I'm all, I'm all for coming back to that. I think that's actually very much related to what I was saying. I think my masochism was me projecting. <laughs> Yes, because I'm all for empathy, but um, I think my motivation for watching horror is more masochistic, it sounds like, than yours. So do you want to give a general reaction or you want me to, or what do you want to? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I liked it. I c- 
could possibly have turned it off halfway through and not thought very much of it at all. So I really, 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 I loved the second half, especially. And I wish they had, I wish they had shown their cards a little bit in the first half that they were going to get deeper in the second half, because I, I appreciated that a lot more. But yeah, it was, it was really good. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't horror. And I kept sort of hoping it would be somehow because it had a bit of the feel like there was, there was a horror vibe going on in the background. And I don't know if part of that was just because we do horror films. And so I was sort of expecting it to turn that way, but I don't think so. I think it, it had some dark undertones. I thought it was a really, it ended up being a really, really, really effective way to make the message to get the message across that it wanted to, to get across. I didn't have that issue. I mean, I, I think I texted you after the first like full scene of the film and said, I already have anxiety watching this film. <laughs> so I, w- I, I was engaged. I had to struggle with, it's not the film I wanted it to be, but it was a film that, it was a film that I appreciated and is absolutely one that it did for, uh, live up to, um, in many ways did still live up to what I wanted it to do and what I, what I wanted to see in the film. Um, and as far as it being horror, I also definitely, it, it, it wasn't horror. It still had horror vibes. And I was trying to think back of why I was so, if I was so intent or I was so committed to the idea that it was horror because I just wanted it to be, or I could swear that we, it had, I feel like we left a horror film to avoid watching the trailer for it at least once back when we could go see things in theaters. And I, I, could, I just was trying to think, I could swear there was something else that I had seen or heard that gave some sort of other strong indication that it was maybe not horror, but it was a, and I guess it is still a rape revenge film. And so maybe that's what I was thinking is, I've only ever seen rape revenge films that are horror. Uh, uh, or no, that's not true. We have only ever re- we have only really focused on rape revenge films that are horror recently, and so maybe that's what the leap I made that I jumped and connected in my head. Anyway, it wasn't the film I wanted it to be. I still appreciated a lot of it. I, I think it's going to be great for conversation, for uh, all the reasons you said. Some other things. I had some questions about some of how the film was done, but. In a lot of ways, it may be better that this is the film that it is instead of the film that I wanted it to be. So what's the film you wanted it to be? I wanted the film to be like a, a modern, a modernized urban I spit on your grave. I wanted her to, once once the guy put, from the very beginning, once he put her his fingers in her and so he was full on assaulting him or her, I wanted her to start cutting him to pieces that's what i wanted i wanted it to be maniac violence gore just all over the place and then when she didn't i still held out hope because then she didn't and like the first the first person she confronted she went home and put like a little blue mark in her book and then there were red marks and i was like oh well maybe there's still hope maybe like if they don't go past whatever she gives them the the lecture and the talking to, and she doesn't, she spares them. But if they cross a certain line, then she butchers them. 
and so I still was holding out for the butchering, and then it, but it never, it never came, which for me felt very comedian. It felt very like, where's the butchery here, people? <laughs> this is so interesting because, first of all, I feel like I have to admit this just because you've been candid about sometimes not seeing an argument that I thought was obvious or something. I didn't even think of this as a rape revenge film at all because it didn't feel like one, but you're right. It was technically, it was absolutely a rape revenge film. And it didn't even occur to me that we would have, that that would have ties to like other things that we've talked about that are rape revenge and because it felt so different. So in a way, what you're saying with the comedian is like right on that. Yeah. It didn't really dig into that, that aspect of, of what was happening here. And it's so funny because the argument I was going to make about it really sort of dragging you through the pain was not that pain. It's not the rape pain or the revenge pain, actually. It was, I'll kind of get to that later, but oh, we, we are on an interesting tack here. That's just, well, what that's, is your pain? If it's not the rape pain and it's not the revenge pain, what, 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 what are we, why are we watching this? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I can go into that quick. I can probably get that out in a few sentences or at least uh, in broad strokes here. I thought the beginning of the film was very much making an argument. I mean, obviously the whole film was making an argument, but it was presenting it in a very, I don't know if I want to say one-sided manner. It was just, it was right. And it was telling you what right is. And that reminded me of my critique sometimes of things that you've written, where it's like, we're just going to lay out what's correct. And I always feel like, yeah, but don't you want to like, don't you want to pose counter arguments? Don't you want to like whatever? And it's like, nope, this is just what it is. <laughs> and that was fine, but I can't help it because I just, I, I don't know. It's the way my brain works. Like when I'm watching an argument, I want to pose, I want to try and poke holes in it. And because they weren't trying to poke their own holes, it's like I was trying to poke holes for them. And it's not, not to say that that was not an overall argument that I absolutely agree with. It was just like their presentation style of like, I felt like sometimes they were letting themselves off the hook by like presenting things in a certain way. So they wouldn't have to confront a a real counter argument that they could still then shoot down, but I wanted them to shoot it down. Like I wanted them to have to, you know, and I was a little bit put off by that. Like I, I enjoyed it, but it just felt like a, a simple argument style to me. And I really, really, really appreciated the turn where I don't know any of the men's names <laughs> in this film. What was the guy who was getting married? Joe. Is that Joe? I think so. Uh, so, Al, Al, no, Al, Al something. Oh, Al you're right. Monroe. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Okay. Al Monroe. Yeah, so when she's got Al handcuffed to the bed and Al, you know, ends up turning the tables and killing her, that was horribly painful, horribly, horribly painful. And that's where I feel like they just sort of handed all of that whole poking that I was doing in my head back to me. And I appreciated that. I thought then they got way deeper, like the whole second half of the film. And, and like I said, it, it's an argument I agree with. So it's not that I was trying to like discount their argument, but I was trying to make it stronger. And I was frustrated at them for not making it stronger. And so for all of these little critiques that I was raising along the way, I really appreciated it when they just sort of stopped the action. And it was like, okay, fine. The guys are just going to win. Here's how do I say it? It's like, to whatever extent I was trying to navigate around the argument they were making, it was like, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to kind of go down any of those lines, well, here's the outcome. The outcome then is that the guys just have this social power and 
resources and just ability to avoid consequences in this situation. Like what's going to happen is the women are going to be harmed and they're going to suffer for, they're going to suffer for their whole life. In this case, they're going to lose their lives. And the men are basically going to be able to move on and move forward because they have access to a network of other men who are helping them do this. And, you know, and just sitting in the the pain of that, I thought was incredibly effective. And I so appreciated that they took the argument to that level. That just felt really good. And then, you know, for all of the, like the scene with the boyfriend, when the, the detective showed up at the boyfriend's office. Right. And, you know, part of me, again, like I said, from this perspective of like wanting to try to poke holes in what they were doing, I was thinking it's also like a very human tendency to try to get out of something like that. And so I'm not saying it's like, okay, what he was doing, but it's like, Oh, like they're, they're purposely showing you like the kids' pictures in the background and, you know, all of this. And it's like, oh gosh, this isn't, I guess I'd say that that behavior is not like isolated to this circumstance. So part of me was wanting to have some kind of like general humanity, empathy for his situation. Like he's, lots of people try to squirm their way out of stuff that has happened. And so I don't know, that was, that was it was hard to watch for that reason. But then when you see them show up at the wedding at the end, when they like, they just turn it and they just like hand the, the sort of winning for that segment of the film anyway, over to the men, it's just brutal. It's brutal to watch him standing there at the wedding and to, to watch Al doing his happy little whatever. Like it's, it is so painful. And I thought that just hammered home so well, the points that, like I said, the women are suffering in this situation and the men, even if they're not, yes, he was a doctor too, or had some good things going for him also. And you know, this, whatever, whatever, whatever empathy I was feeling sitting in that room with him, with the detective, it's like the result of that is still this, like, here's, here's where that leads. That leads to this situation where the men get away scot-free and the women are just terribly suffering. And it was so, just so hard to watch, so hard to watch. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was so much of a better, deeper way to make their point than to just lay it out from her perspective and have everything go according to like her argument. Um, because it was really by dragging you through the, by dragging you through the, the, the bad of that, like having to watch her argument lose when it should have won, having to watch her suffer in ways that she shouldn't have had to, she should have been on the like revenge. She's getting back at them side. And with me sitting there saying like, oh gosh, but I still a little bad for him in this situation or whatever. Like when they flip that and when she loses, it just, it made every bit of empathy I had for, for the other side of that argument, just blink away because it meant nothing compared to the suffering that the women were going through. And that was so great to see. And so, and so, and it made me think of the comedian also, and just all of what horror can do well, which is when it does it right, it makes you suffer. Like it makes you feel that pain. And I think this was a place for that pain to me, just really, really hammered home their argument in a way that having her succeed didn't, it just felt so much more effective to me in the second half of the film. I'm glad they flipped it right at the end then I am because that was fun too. I felt like we suffered enough and it was nice then to end it on the note of her argument succeeding instead of this like total downer note. I mean, it could have been effective as a downer too, but I did actually, I liked that flip because I did feel like they dragged us through the mud enough first. So what were the, can you give me an example of something that would have been a, a hole to poke in their argument in the first half of the film that you didn't see I guess just like what I'm saying, like when the policeman came to interview, I forget the boyfriend's name, right? Ryan. And I guess my hole in argument, I don't really mean a hole in the argument so much as just my own 
sort of ability to empathize with some of the things that the men were doing too. And that felt like he's, again, he just, he felt like a person trying to weasel out of a crappy situation. And that felt, that felt more okay, a universal thing that happens outside of the context of violence against women. Also, you know, people feel confronted. They think they can get away with something. They just say a squirmy answer to try to get out of it. But that empathy I was feeling like is the point is that like the social structure is organized in such a way that even if somebody is not sort of actively trying to be an awful person, these are still the consequences. Like women still end up suffering in these terrible ways and the men still end up getting away with it. And I think by, by making us see that, like by making us sit in like, Oh no, it's going to go the way it goes in society where the men are going to get away with this and the women are going to suffer. It just, it, it pushed away all of that sort of like, I guess, empathy really for the individual men in some of those situations. I, it, it didn't, I think it made their argument a lot stronger. I think that is very much a crucial piece of what I hadn't fully articulated or been able to process yet, but that was a significant component of what I was thinking when I was saying it was a movie with significant merit, even though it isn't a movie that I would have made. Because obviously if it were my movie, when she just started butchering people, you wouldn't have that. And so, and okay. So the concern I have with that is the concern I have with what you're saying. And even now that I'm thinking this through is that would be true for me. That would be true for me, except for the fact that the film took great pains to show that all of the men that she interacted with had were completely guilty. They were guilty. There was no gray area. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, it just wasn't. It was, she is obviously already completely hammered. It's not, they went on a date and had drinks together and there was a flirtation back and forth and things escalated somewhat. And then, and then the guy didn't back off when she had body language that pulled away. It was, she is hammered. She is demonstrating that she can't walk. She is saying, no, I don't want to do this. Or I don't, I, I don't have the capacity to understand what you're doing. And so if you're going to, if you're going to do gray area, especially with sexual assault, which, uh, and, and with this sort of coercion, sexual coercion, it needs to be gray area. And I, for sure, just as a, as a, as a guy who's, who's like you said, I, I appreciate the culpability and it is very difficult to think of myself having been in positions where, and I have been in positions where something like that has happened and where, where I mean, like, you know, I've been out with someone we've been drinking and, um, and things escalate and things went well. And I, you know, I, I mean, uh, how about this? And I, it, I've been in messy situations. How about that? However, again, so I appreciate that. And I appreciate, you know, when we teach this, we really try and, and I got, you know, I get that a lot from Glenda that it needs to be taught in ways that are realistic. 
It's like drugs. To just say no is stupid, right? It's oversimplifying. It has all. It leads to all kinds of other problems. And if you're going to talk about hooking up, particularly with young people at a university or at a med school or school of whatever kind, and it's a party scene and um and uh and drugs and alcohol are going to be part of the whole scene and just are a part of the whole scene there needs to be some realistic discussion of of just how things actually happen and still try and push people towards the consenting better aspect and uh, i mean i do appreciate that the movie made nods to the fact that um, even with that, things I think have, well, in some ways they've gotten much better even in the last since Me Too, right? But so th- that's all a big long way to roundabout way of saying that if if they were going to complicate and, and present nuanced or they were going to create any sort of empathy for the men in those situations, because I did not have any. I didn't have any, see any holes in the argument. And I felt like, and even in hindsight, I feel like looking back, they specifically, like I said, made sure the men had multiple opportunities to do even a baseline minimum right thing. That it wasn't, again, like I said, it wasn't a, a some sort of gray area. It just wasn't. It was multiple repeated too drunk. Don't know where I'm going. Don't know where I am. I've asked to leave. I've I've said I don't understand what's happening. I told you I didn't want to drink. You gave me a drink anyway. If what you're if I what I hear you saying is you want that nuanced argument and you felt like it was doing it, then the film needs to reflect that in the situations that it's being. And that could have been wonderful. It could have escalated over the course of the film. Of here's one where he if it weren't Ryan, if it was just a, if the first interaction was with some guy and he, he took, he walked her home or they were out on a walk and he was like, Oh, Hey, by the way, my apartment's here. And she had done some sort of commensurate reply or response to that. And then the next one is the black guy with the fedora who, uh, you know, if they had somehow without her seeing Ryan had cut it there when he, you know, if the black guy had been willing to kind of was doing the creepy shit. And then when he got outside, he was like, you know what? I, I can't do this and just put her in a cab and center. And then she had done something else as retribution for that. So we saw that there was some sort of metric by which she was gauging level of response. Then I would, I think I would hear what you're saying and I would, be more in alignment with or more agreeing what you're what you're saying there. Let me jump in for a second yeah, and please. say that I, I totally agree with you that there was not nuance with the men that she was picking up at the bars at the beginning. But where I feel like they introduced the nuance was her relationship with the boyfriend by really cultivating empathy for him before we knew that he was culpable in any of this. And by going through sort of the kind of bizarre, cheesy love scene in the middle with montage, whatever that was, the dinner with the parents, all that kind of thing. The situation where she shows up at the lawyer's house and realizes that the lawyer has does feel badly about this anyway and is wants to atone for it. And she ends up leaving and saying, okay, she calls off whatever the whatever the negative consequence was that he was supposed to have. 
I feel like they they started to introduce nuance as the film went on in a way that to me really resonated. And also I, I just, I, I am not drawn toward, I hesitate to say simple arguments because the, the truth is the simple argument is the truth here, but it's like the presentation of an argument as simple and not having nuance, just, I have a harder time with that presentation. I, I feel like that doesn't resonate as well with me because like I said, even if it's an argument I fully agree with, which with the argument of this film, I fully agree. I start to start trying to figure out where the gray area could be that they're not acknowledging in the, in their presentation of the story. And so I really felt like they started to get into that gray area more so, which was helpful. But then to me, the really important part was when they then turned the tables and had Cassie die and, and our argument kind of dies with her at that point in the film, that was so impactful because now any level of gray area-ness that, that I might've been sort of looking for or pulling on or whatever, it was just so irrelevant. It didn't matter. Like it didn't matter if, you know, boyfriend was a good doctor too, or, you know, whatever. It was just like, oh God, like this is like the truth of the argument is what I think they really laid out there, which was when push comes to shove, men are going to do what they have to do. They're going to have, they have the resources, they have the networks to get their way. And, you know, they're going to, yeah, maybe squirm the same way other people squirm when they get caught doing anything, whatever. But because of the way society is structured, they have the ability to squirm in a way that the women don't have the ability to navigate this as well. And so the women end up getting just, I mean, killed in this case. And the men get away with, you know, having a bad day, but basically they can get out of it. And that was, I just thought that was such a, a deep and nuanced and completely addressing all of that gray area kind of argument. And I, I really appreciated that turn. But I absolutely agree with you that those first scenes were not at all nuanced. Okay. I think I better understand your your argument. And the film does strike me as much more of your kind of film in the sense that it is very a high road film where I've said from the outset, I would go low road. I'd be like, well, maybe you just cut off the first guy's hands and by the end of the movie, you're, you know, castrating and... I don't know, hobbling people. I don't know, whatever it is, right? I really was hoping that she was just going to butcher the whole whole frat. I mean, I guess they're not frat, but the whole medical school boys club. The whole movie, I was holding out for like, okay, this is it. This is going to be like, I'll just say, I was really hoping it was just going to be a a bloodbath slaughter. I I don't know who the, what the reference would be. And what I think for me is is where I want to go at some point is it does the high road work. And when I say for you, it was, it's a more of a, a Laura film is the high road is she doesn't ever actually, you know, she doesn't leave the daughter of the Dean with, with some bunch of uh, likely exploitative music, music stars who well, she, she's going to be a groupie for and get taken advantage. And she doesn't actually, the guy from Superbad who I've never liked. I've never understood why he has any credence in Hollywood or anywhere. I just don't like him. Maybe not for any reason. I hate Superbad. Anyway, she doesn't she doesn't do anything to him, you know? She doesn't even like kick him in the nuts. And so for me, it's like, well, where is the fucking punishment? And I do appreciate that, Laura, for you, very high road for giving, like, I'm gonna give you a strong lecture. And I'm like, fuck a lecture. <laughs> You need to beat some, whoop some ass. You need to, you know, there needs to be some swift and blinding violence. So (laughs) 
so I do want to talk about if the if and how or where the passive, what I would call a passive punishment works for us as audience members or or even in the film itself and and how I don't know how that plays out because obviously for me it was very frustrating to to have the 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 vengeance be the revenge be so for me it seems so mild and so passive okay I, I love that I think that's a great question the first thing I want to say though is like when you reference the teenage daughter and the whatever the band at the coffee shop or whatever it was, I think the film went to great lengths to make sure that Cassie wouldn't be punishing other women. And I think that was a really smart decision. So I think even if we want to add in punishment, I acknowledge the fact that, you know, especially if you look at the the teenage daughter, right? Because she actually did not do anything. It was her mom that Cassie had a beef with. And, and I think to make her mom go through those moments of agony is one thing, but to have actually subjected the daughter to that would be, you know, we've, we've certainly held films accountable for that many, many times for turning the women on other women in order to address the system that is designed to advance men at the, the detriment of women. So I think that's important. And I think also the fact that she didn't, the girl from Mad Men, I, she was the little yeah. ad guy's wife in Mad Men. You mean the woman from Community? Uh, Madison. Oh, yeah. Both. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Community you know, she, for me is the more important reference. That's all I was saying. Anyway, it, I'm just being obnoxious. Go ahead, please. But nothing happened to her, right? And Cassie clearly set this up because I, we didn't know until the scene at the end, although I believe Cassie, we didn't know when we saw it playing out initially what Cassie wanted this man to do to her. And the fact that what she wanted to do was instill some doubt and some some empathy. She wanted, I don't know her name. <laughs> I keep wanting to call her, what is it? Madison. Madison, okay. She wanted Madison to, to feel the type of, fear that Nina felt and to, you know, to have some inkling of that experience, but she didn't actually put her through the experience. She put her through the fear without putting her through the experience. And she even, I thought it was really notable the way Cassie apologized because I thought she meant it. And I thought the film meant it. Like when Cassie said, Hey, I'm sorry. Like I should have returned your calls. I should have told you sooner because I think Cassie really didn't want to. And the film didn't really didn't want to punish other women they wanted to make them have empathy, but they didn't want to punish them sort of excessively for a system that was set up to, to advance the state of men at their detriment. That is an outstanding observation, Laura. And I am disappointed in myself that I did not notice the gender difference, but how different is the gender repercussions if the men are also just like, Oh, you got a lecture or I don't know what else she did. What did she do? She. I agree with you. I don't think it's a difference so much as a, I think it was, it was important and correct. And I thought they made an effort to point out that they were doing it in those situations with the men. I guess the difference was that they didn't, they didn't point it out like that. Right. They didn't, I don't think they went to any length to tell you that they were purposely not hurting the men, but they, the men really didn't get hurt. See what you're saying. If there were a clear gender difference in punishment, totally on board. Great. Take the high well, road with been. women. 
I, okay. who don't benefit oh. from the system of gender privilege that enables and contributes to all of this at a structural level. But now with you saying that, I'm like, that's where that bothers me. I want, I'm still back to the point. My key fundamental issue with the movie is nobody gets punished. Right. I, I, I guess what I wanted to say there was not that I'm sure that the men shouldn't have been punished, but I think the women should not have been punished. I and agree with that. But I, I hear the question that you're raising here, which is a really good question, is should the men have been punished? And the answer is yes. <laughs> he meant to punish Al. I mean, he was going to get punished. Although I really like, like I said, I like the, the way the film turned that just for the sake of the argument. So he actually didn't get it. I think it's better that he didn't get it. I think it's better that it went the way it did. But oh, the rest it, of the men. It, it was totally better that the, the lawyer didn't get it. it was, no, no, Al. Al was the... the fuck is Al? <laughs> the guy who killed her. Uh, oh, the, so, the, the person who gets married. Yes. Okay. Right. Right. I'm sorry. What happens? Wait, what? She, she was going to punish Al. I mean, she was... I see. She, was well, she had her knife. She was going to do it. So, he, and I, I'm glad that she didn't, not because I didn't want him to get punished, but because I like that he won because I do think that made their argument stronger. I think it, it just really hammered in like the way a bad ending can, you know, sitting in the dystopia can make you realize how awful that world is. I think that was way more effective, but the other men, I mean, if the other men had been punished and that would have still made Al's flip, even more kind of, it, it would have hit you harder because you would have expected her to get away with it if she'd been effectively punishing people earlier. So I should, should the men in general have been punished? And yeah, maybe not the lawyer. That's nice. I appreciate that they, that's sorry, going on seven different routes, but that's back to I Spit on Your Grave, how they tried to nuance how culpable the different people were. And then they experienced repercussions kind of in alignment with how the film was rating their culpability, which is great. So I did like that the lawyer was let off the hook and that she clearly, that the film took a stand on that. But yeah, so the other men, should the men have been punished more? Marshall says yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, hot take. <laughs> shocking, shocking, I know. Marshall says yes, they need to be punished. <laughs> uh, the, the lawyer uh, being, the lawyer was a, was a wonderful scene and a and a fabulous scene to include because it showed again that if any of them had had or if someone maybe not if any but if someone had real penance and real regret and a genuine sense of I had my chance and I fucked up and I I, I there's nothing I can do about it but I know I fucked up and it it bothers me it didn't just end with, you know, and obviously that was directly contrasted with the Dean. I don't know her name. It's like, no, but I knew who she was. I knew she was a, there was an individual behind the number or the case or the complaint or whatever it was that Cassie was capable and willing to forgive. I mean, she said, you know, that's a really a lovely scene where she, she says, I forgive you literally and to show that that was the case i think was particularly crucial that seems like a very laura move to me of and then we know that with the other folks with the other men what it shows us right is that everybody else could have also saved themselves if they would have done 
had any even bare minimum regret or acceptance of responsibility. But I see how many times I could say this in the podcast. <laughs> Uh, again, if you're going to demonstrate that culpability and that guilt and that lack of empathy on the side of everyone who was involved, I, again, I don't know if it's because I want it to be a horror movie and it's not, or because I generally have some uh, more sadistic inclinations than you do, Laura, but I want there to be real punishment. I don't, the, the telltale heart punishment, do, it, it, it doesn't, I mean, maybe it does. I, I the telltale heart with, with, with the, with the women in particular, the ones you've said, I feel like the punishment was real. She had a, and it wasn't just a moment. It was, I mean, it was minutes with the Dean, but it was like, it was a very intense, let her sit and think about, Wow, I'm wondering what I wonder what what could be happening to my daughter right now, right now, and I'm unable to do anything about it. And and then with Madison, it was appropriate because it was like days, and she was obviously had been distraught about it and upset about it, and that had gone on for a period of time. But with uh, Jackass from. Uh, does anybody even know his name is Neil, the cocaine guy. The character name is Neil, the cocaine guy. I mean, what does she do? She gives him a little bit of a lecture and then do we, I mean, he is obviously high and drunk. Is that going to really effectively do anything in when he wakes up in the morning? Uh, that, that to me is not an acceptable punishment. He has, again, we, we have a long scene of establishing guilt and, and a level of assault that is to the point of him penetrating her. She says, you know, you put your fingers inside me and he gets pushed against a wall and, and scolded. So, like I said, we'll see. We'll see if I get in the teens by the end of this, but my film will have swift and blinding violence. <laughs> <laughs> she could, I know you know, it will. <laughs> I, mean, I know it will. <laughs> with with Neil, if she would have carved like a dragon tattoo, like carve rapist or something in his stomach, that would have been cool. And then, my, okay, so I'm sorry, and I'll let you jump in here. Would it have been any real? Would it have been different in terms of what you were saying about the dynamics of how that went if? she had still gotten to carve Nina's name in his skin and then everything that happened happened. Yeah, Is no, I think it's best. I think, I think it's best for Al not to have gotten punished, but just for her to have intended it because yeah, cause it was gut wrenching watching him at his wedding. And if you knew that he had to like go, you know, show his fiance his chest and it would say Nina or whatever it would say. And he'd have some story to that's not him getting away totally. And it was, so brutal to have to sit in that scene and watch him have no repercussions. And so I think, no, I think, I think it's better that he didn't get punished. I was trying to answer your question actually by working backwards and say, okay, I don't want the women to be punished for the reasons we talked about. They seemed okay. I don't want the lawyer to be punished because he was an appropriate nuance. 
I don't want Al to be punished because it won't hurt so bad watching his wedding if he got punished at all. So that's better. Mm. The boyfriend then, like, should the boyfriend have been punished somehow? But I, I liked having him be at the wedding. And I think that was so painful because they didn't get punished. And so I want to say, no, I want to have the boyfriend not be punished either, which brings us back to the men at the beginning. And they could have been punished. They don't hurt the argument if they get punished. And if anything, they maybe give her more power in a way because it's maybe, yeah, it's like more of a dramatic turn. Like you would expect her to get away with it with Al. And then when she doesn't, that might strike you a little bit harder. So maybe it would be okay, I think, for the argument to have her punish them. The only way I think that could possibly hurt things is if when you're sitting at the wedding and you're watching Al having won and you're watching the boyfriend having gotten away with it, basically, that is it better for her not to have really accomplished anything? Like I say better because it hurts more. And so that's the only argument I could make for those men at the beginning, not being brutalized because she is somewhat effectively carrying out revenge if they get hurt, even though it's not for Nina's, it's like a separate sort of same argument, separate people. Right. And so I don't know. I, I don't know. I would have to have seen the movie to see if that was still as painful. If it were still as painful, then okay. But I would actually be willing to let nobody get punished just for the sake of having to watch her die and just, and see them at that wedding. Like I said, that was, that was just, to me, that was brutal and effective. I appreciate everything you're saying. Your argument about him not getting like a carved up before he kills, before he kills her fuck is her name before he kills cassie i find that all totally convincing i do not like that there is nothing long term that the other men get and i don't know i would have to think about that a scar or a i don't know something like a scarlet letter i mean or just something that so you know like a scar i was thinking is great because then every time presumably they go to have to hook up or they go to ha- have some sort of interaction with someone. So, you know, if you got a scar, like right by your junk, people are going to be asking, Hey, what, what happened with the scar? And so every time it's a memory of like, or it's some sort of accountability or explanation, or even just for yourself, um, even, even just for them of like, Oh yeah, I have to think about her again. Something like that. So, but everything else you're saying, I totally appreciate and respect. It bothers me, like you said, that she, and then I have another big point, so I'll let you jump back in here. It bothers me that she, it didn't have, she didn't have an an effect outside of the group that assaulted Nina and what happened there. Because she... With, with that, she was presumably, and the argument the film was making was, this is one example of a broader issue, right? That was supposed to be our linkage between an individual specific instance and a cultural society level factor, which is wonderful, right? That's a crucial part of sociological imagination. And that, we talked about that with uh, people under the stairs. If that's so rare and it's so it can be very challenging to do even if, fuck, I don't know, even if she drugged them and just left them to wake up in some foreign place 
discombobulated, but not, not like totally not. I mean, obviously when we've stuck with this too, obviously you can't like, well, maybe not obviously, but it would not work or it would be a very different thing to figure out how to make it work. You can't like rape them because then you're, you're, I, I mean, I'm all for taking the low road, but the, the two wrongs, but there is a point at which, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. And that would be a whole different thing, but something else. Uh, so yeah, let me turn that back over to you. And then I have one more kind of big issue on this theme. You're selling me on that. And I think if this were something that we were working on together, I, I like what you're saying there. I like, at least for the men at the beginning, I like the idea of a scar. I like the idea of some permanent thing. And maybe even like you said, drugging them or something where they would have a traumatic experience and a permanent reminder, which would be a real parallel to what they were saying with the women right. in the film, because it, the idea was that the this goes with the women forever, right? And she gave that whole speech about your name is forever a part of Nina's story and she's not a part of yours. And so I really, I think that could be great, honestly, with those men. And that also wouldn't be, it, it would sort of fit the mood of the rest of the film. I feel like if she was actually slaughtering them, that there's a little bit of discontinuity with the rest of the message. And that might make her too powerful for the sake of the pain that I want to feel at that wedding. So, but I, w- I would be really happy with like a middle ground there. I think what you're saying is a, a much, a much needed improvement on how they did it because yeah, a scar to tie it to the permanency, something that was more painful than just like you said, a lecture in their house. I think that's really good. I think upping that somewhat. I, d- I don't know if they should be slaughtered. I- I'm not set against it. I just, I would need to see the film right. and then see this film and wonder how that, I would want to know how the wedding felt. And if the wedding felt the same, then I could be okay with that. And it might be more fun to let you go massacre everybody at the beginning of the film. I mean, all the, the men that she picked up in the bars, if it didn't feel as awful and futile it's like her whole thing felt futile in that moment and that's what was so good about it because it was it it just really highlighted that ability that the men have so i don't know i guess those are my thoughts on that i i think you're right i think some level of upping the punishment is good i don't know how far it needs to go i appreciate that and i do just want to emphasize that that's that's not a deal breaker for me but it is a it's just something that doesn't sit right with me it just isn't that extra little twist that not twist like unexpected turn, but twist like twist of the knife that, that I would, I would prefer to have, which brings me to my, my big issue, potentially a bigger issue, which is ultimately the way it gets set up is the accountability is still turned over to the systems of sanction and, and accountability that have already failed. And, and the punishment that is going to happen is, and, and this is, this is bringing in a lot of knowledge from the outside of the film from outside of the world, which I'm very much a proponent of take the film on its own terms. You know this, but you're, you're dealing with a phenomenon of, of sexual assault that is, and violence against women that is 
that needs to at least have some sort of familiarity of the context it's working in. And so all that is to say is Al is going to get punished for Cassie's murder, not for Nina's rape. That's just not how the justice system is going to work. It's just not. And that upsets me too. I understand that the video is also went to the lawyer, but, but again, that's turning it over to a system that has ultimately failed to hold men accountable for 40, 50 years. And I only, I don't go back further than 40, 50 years. Cause that's really the only time it even could have, because before that it was not even treated as an issue, but even once it got to be the level of something that the justice system presumably would, would, would address. And we know that because these are all, all of these guys are Brock Turner. They're all Brock Turner. And we know that Brock Turner had eyewitnesses, had all the evidence against him and ended up with a slap on the wrist. And I understand a video is an eyewitness, but in the world today with, uh, with who's the fucking rapist on the Supreme court. I can picture him and I can't think of his name. There's a G in there. There's a G. Oh my God. Well, whatever, whoever the fuck he is. (laughs) I can't believe I don't know his name either, Laura. I'm more disappointed in myself than... than uh, oh, no, there's no G. Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Yes, there is a G. Silent G, but whatever. Oh, <laughs> you're right. That might be what I was thinking of. <laughs> I'm going to give myself credit because I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, there's a G. That's, that's legit. You can take credit for that. We know with Kavanaugh that... I mean, no, we didn't have him on video, but we had Trump on camera saying, saying... He's done things. It didn't ruin his career. It didn't ruin him. So the idea that Joe, Joey Fucknuts and Ryan and the other, all these other guys are actually now going to get some sort of significant comeuppance because the cops know and some lawyers got a tape on a phone from however many years ago. It's just not, it's just not realistic. And that for me is a huge issue. And I, I, I have one more thing to say before I, I totally want to turn back over to you. The conundrum I have then is obviously then, uh, like I said, I wanted the bachelor party to just be a bloodbath. But that in and of itself feeds a vigilante justice mentality. And I will acknowledge, or I want to acknowledge that the film by having a lawyer who used to be Brock Turner's defense attorney and is now going to be the prosecutor is a important shift of Cassie has accomplished or is contributing to something where the systems of accountability are changing for the better. And that is, I think, really great. That's not because it's hard. It's, it is, maybe I should say this because I want to say this because it's in my head, but I don't know if everybody else would just assume it like I have. It's problematic to advocate for the vigilante justice, not because I'm wrong with it, but because vigilante justice is not going to ever solve the problem. It has to be a systemic shift. So even if Cassie slaughters everyone and I get to feel a little bit good at the end of the film because she does that and there's that, it, 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 
in terms of the impact on a societal level, that sort of vigilante justice, that it's just, it's never going to solve or it's never going to address the issues of sexual assault, sexual coercion, violence against women at the level and at the effectiveness that needs to happen. And, and that's why it needs to be a systemic change because it is a public issue. It's not something that can be done, can be solved by private individuals on a case-by-case basis. So I'm really torn because on one hand, I want her to go full vigilante. And on the other hand, I want her to, I appreciate that there was some acknowledgement of shifting the system and shifting the system is not exciting. I mean, that's a very, just like we talked about with people under the stairs, it's very hard to, unless you're going to do like even a courtroom drama doesn't, is that single case, you know? And I feel like like A Time to Kill is a good film where The Rainmaker is also a good film where it's a courtroom drama. And there is some sense of like the justice system itself failed and there needs to be a turn in the system. But those movies at that to do that level and make it interesting and understandable and just watchable is a real challenge. So I'm, I'm very torn about those two directions. I love everything you laid out there. And I think in terms of your question about vigilante justice versus not, I think it depends what the film's message is. And some films, and I would argue that this is probably the case in I Spit on Your Grave, the message is this is wrong. And when the message is this is wrong, you can have vigilante justice, you can have whatever sort of dramatic death you wanna lay down on people. Because the whole point of the film is to make the argument that something is a problem. And I think it gets deeper when the film wants to make the argument, not only this is wrong, but here's what we should do about it. And if the film's arguing about what we should do, then suddenly that question of how justice is doled out becomes really, really important because it's no longer just a, could be sort of, I don't know if fun is the right word, cathartic, I guess, showy, display of this is wrong. It becomes like, how do we, how do we address this as a society? And so I think the task of setting before the film is much higher to say, we shouldn't do vigilante justice. We should come up with something that's, I mean, I'm not saying you're necessarily arguing that, but I think in that version of the film, it's like, that would be a much more complicated set of ideas the film's putting out there. I also think that's great. I mean, I think it would be great to have a film that does that because Arguments progress over time and we don't need to just be sort of, maybe we can move beyond just saying this is bad and and say, okay, what can we do about it? And I love what you said about the lawyer. I think that's really good. I don't know that this film had a a straightforward message on that. I mean, I guess I would say it didn't because it, it, it didn't hit you with it. And if it wanted to make that point, it should have hit you with it. And also wasn't the policeman, he had red hair, I think that was, that was leading away Al at the end. Wasn't he the same policeman that showed up with the boyfriend? And that confused me. And that was, that felt very important. And I didn't know what to do with it because they didn't do anything with it. It felt to me like he was a representative of this system. And he was clearly pointed out as like one of the problematic cogs in the system or in this sort of overall patriarchal ideology, that's going to just let this slide and be like, Oh, those crazy women, she probably killed herself because she's feeling bad or whatever. You know, that was, that was there for a reason. And so on the one hand, it was like having him come in 
And I won't say save the day exactly, but like, you know, rush off Al, like, like now he gets it. I wanted to know what's going on here. Does he get it? Was it, you know, like that's a really important shift for him to make. And is it that he did not know this was a problem before and now he understands? Is it that he's, you know, the like exactly what you're saying. Is there some statement about the system changing here? Because it could also be sort of a depressing, like, well, if you have really super, super, super strong evidence, the system will finally kick into gear. That's not helpful. That's almost, that could potentially make your argument worse in a way, because that's not, it's almost saying like, oh, look, everything's okay. See, when you, when you hand the dead body to them, then like everything gets cleaned up. So don't worry about it. And I'm not saying they were arguing that either. I just, they don't, they weren't clearly arguing anything around that. And it was a real choice, I think, to make that same policeman show up. So I like everything you laid out. I just, I wish they had made an argument in there. I don't know what it, what it was that they were saying on that front. And again, I'm impressed with what you're saying about that with the, with the, it being the same cop and that being the same detective or whatever being problematic. And what first came to mind for me was if that detective, if some other cop arrests Al and that same detective sees Ryan at the wedding and kind of gave him some sort of like look of like really or like disappointment or like you know like I just talked to you and like like a moment of realization of like to have have him look at Ryan and 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 have a moment of realization of like oh you're part of the problem and I fucked up because I interviewed you and I didn't I didn't take it seriously. I didn't identify you as part of the issue that, and that could be done with almost, I mean, really it, that probably could be done with a look and that could have been, it would have been subtle and small, but it would have been a, a significant, small, subtle gesture. And it didn't need to be that same cop to arrest the detective. It could have been, they're all there. Some other detective doesn't matter. Arrest Al and have that look in that exchange between Ryan that would have been just a quick back and forth look of, of you're part of this problem too. Ryan being like, fuck yeah, I am. And the detective being like, well, shit, I should have figured, I should have known that. He could even say it to a partner or something like, I fucking should have known or do himself, you know, or something like that. Anything like that where, and that would have just tied that up in a way that, that it, it didn't otherwise. And again, that's not a, these aren't, for me, these aren't massive issues like we have with a lot of films. It's just, I mean, for me, these are, this, these are the issues between the Get Out and for me, Black Christmas and Martyrs and like these films that are transcend where every possible detail feeds and gets woven into the thread or the, the image or the whatever. I still think it's worth saying. And I, I never would have realized that if you hadn't, hadn't noted that, uh, Laura. I like what you said a lot about the cop having some sort of exchange with Ryan. But I, th- I think what would be really important in that is for the cop to be disappointed in himself. I don't know how yeah. you would see that, but I think you need to see that. You need to see that he... I mean, I guess what it would be, 
I keep stepping back and trying to figure out what the overall message is, which I maybe would be like the institution doesn't realize that it's embedded in this culture of patriarchy, I guess, and that it needs to be made aware. It would also show ability to change in the system. And I suppose that would be a good thing. You, you wouldn't want to get away with seeming too simple, like, oh, if everybody knew, then it would all be better. You know, <laughs> it's just that the men don't realize that this is what's happening. But, you know, I, like there's, there's something for making that too pat that could be a problem. Because it, I guess that's it. It would imply that the actors who are doing bad things in the system and who are just like, oh, whatever, I'm sure it's just a crazy woman, you know, whatever, that if those people knew what was really happening, they would change. And I'm not... But that's such a premise of so much of the other film or so much of the rest of the film is, is just that, is with, with the... Uh, with a scheme and a strategy and a design on the part of Cassie, these other folks, at least some of the other folks can realize and start to do better. And that, and for me, like I was saying, I, again, I'm just brainstorming off the top of my head, but I, I meant when I was saying, I, Oh, I fucked up or like that could have been just the cop saying to himself. So I'm agreeing with you in the him realizing, damn it. I screwed up. I didn't figure that out when I should have. Because I just had been interviewing him. I mean, it could have been stunned a bunch of different ways. But yes, I, I meant it should be for himself, his own little realization of I could have done I could have done better here. And I should have done better here. You make a really good point about that being that fitting with the overall theme of the film. And it really does. I guess I the only nuance I would give there was that the overall film's message wasn't just that when people find out they can do better, but it was like when they really experience yeah. empathy, they can do better. And so having some way that he, we assume, I guess, that he finds out that he was wrong and that she was actually dead and all of that. But if there could be a way that he could feel some pain in that, that allows him to, to see what the situation really was, whether that's seeing her buried there and having that impact him, or I, I don't know exactly what that would be. Yeah. But something. Right, but something. And then what you were saying, I think there was, actually, the, the more I think about it, I think there were real moments where the film was, again, doing a really, I don't know if they did the best job of it, but it's something that is so unusual and so rare that to have them do anything is really commendable, which is the same thing, I think, with the Dean, of the ideas, this is a person in power and the people in power are who create the structures and the systems that fail people or, or, or do well by people. And so to have her be targeted and have this experience of empathy that's dragged out of her with her daughter, I think the implication is like with the lawyer is you are a figure here, maybe, the, or hopefully the next time you hear one of these complaints that you're still telling me comes in twice a week or whatever the fuck it is, you'll give it serious credence. You will, you'll, you'll, you'll look at it differently and you'll address it differently. 
And again, that's just something. So we have that with education. We have that with law. That's even more reason why it would have been great to see it happen with the cop, even to even a small, even again, that wasn't like a huge deal with the Dean, but it was there. It, it would have been a, then so it had been education and then God be great if they could have figured out something to do with medicine in there. But anyway, there, there's these big systems anyway, but that's again, I'm, I'm still, I'm tacking on additional huge <laughs> tasks for the film to accomplish. I really don't expect the film to do everything, but uh, it does seem like there was that there was more than one indication that they were trying to address or get at some sort of potential for a, a systemic change as provoked or as facilitated by individuals with power. And that is really great to see. It would have been, it would have been even more great to see if they had, if they had done even more of it. Uh, yeah. I agree with everything you're saying there. I just want to give a shout out also to the scene with the Dean where Cassie goes to the the whole discussion of like what the trajectory for these men's lives was like and how they didn't experience negative repercussions. And Daisy, that's me. Dean Walker, please sit. My assistant says that you are interested in resuming med school. That's right. May I ask what prompted your desire to get back to your studies? I guess I couldn't stop thinking about my time here. Yeah, that's an extraordinary place. It's an unusual request. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. Oh. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. But you can't remember, so. You felt there wasn't sufficient evidence. You said it was too much of a he said, she said situation. Well, you know, we get accusations like this all the time, one or two a week. I'm sorry I don't remember your friend Nina, but I can assure you at that time that I looked into it thoroughly. His friends were all watching, laughing. It's so hard, but you know, also if she was drinking and, and maybe couldn't remember everything. So she shouldn't have been drunk. I'm not saying that. I, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to sound critical, Dean Walker. I just want to be clear. None of us want to admit when we've made ourselves vulnerable, when we've made a bad choice. And those choices, those mistakes can be so damaging and really regrettable. Regrettable? Yes, I mean, because what would you have me do? 
ruin a young man's life every time we get an accusation like this? So you're happy to take the boy's word for it? I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Of course you do. Because innocent until proven guilty. No arguing with that. No. Thank you for your time. Is your friend okay? No, she's not. But Al Monroe is. You'll be glad to hear he's doing really well. He's getting married, actually. So, you know, I guess he did the right thing. We have to give these boys the benefit of the doubt. That's why I know you won't mind, but three hours ago, I picked your daughter, Amber, up from school and introduced her to the boys who live in that room now. What? She is really pretty, huh? She looks a lot older than she is. I don't believe you. I noticed they had a few bottles of vodka in the room, too, but I'm sure they'll take good care of your daughter. She seemed excited, actually. Uh... Oh, wait. <laughs> I have her phone. She'll be wanting that later. You're crazy. No. Tell me what room my daughter is in right now. I told you the same room Nina was in. I told you I don't remember that. Well, that's a shame. What are you doing? She is a young girl. I wonder if she looks so young to those guys. You better tell me what room she's in. Tell me what fucking room she's in. Now! You sociopath, tell me where she is! Please tell me. You're right, okay? Is that what you want to hear? You're right. You're right. Look how easy it was. I guess you just have to think about it in the right way. <laughs> I guess it feels different when it's someone you love. Tell me where my daughter is, please. <laughs> Relax. Dean Walker, do you really think I would do something like that? Luckily, I don't have as much faith in boys as you do. Amber is sitting in a diner, waiting for her favorite boy band to show up for a music video. It's the Castle Diner, if you want to call and check. You should probably call, actually, or she may never figure out they're not coming. She's kind of an idiot, huh? Gorgeous, though. Who needs brains? They never did a girl any good. Great to see you again, Dean Walker. I, I really appreciated that they hit that argument fairly strongly, which was like, oh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to worry about hurting the the future path of these people when they're accused, but look what happened to the women. And I just, I think that was a really, I really, really appreciated how they got that in there. And I think they did it very effectively. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, so here I wrote this question out because I, I like how this phrasing came out and I want it to sound good. So my next question is, 
could I have my vigilante justice cake and eat my systemic change too? <laughs> could she have done the vigilante justice? How about this? We'll just take us, we'll do a specific example. What if she butchers all the frack guys? Carves the, or doesn't carve the Nina, goes upstairs, has the interaction with Al where she gets smothered and killed. He buries, or he burns her up by himself. And then the rest of it happens. Or there was something else I was thinking where she could, or what if she's, or never mind, never mind, scratch that. What if she's killing the, damn it, I had some scenario in my head where somehow in the film, she could still have done the vigilante justice. Maybe that's what I was thinking of, of sort of like a reverse terrorism, which she kind of, there was kind of a nod to that when she, who does she say that to? She says that to somebody of, of there's a woman, there's women who do this all over the city. And at one of them has a pair of scissors or uh, something right to, basically pr presuming to implicate that she would castrate you. So you should be more care or you should check yourself. Careful. No, you be careful. I'm not the only one who does this. And some of the other girls, they're really all crazy. I, I don't believe you. There's a woman in the city that carries a pair of scissors. So you're, you're lying. Try it out next time you go out, see what happens. Why do you guys have to ruin everything? <laughs> if there would be some way to, I, I don't know. Well, I, at least I got my question written down nicely. I had some scenario where I was thinking she could have done some vigilante justice and that could have been used toward the effect of prompting or pushing some of these other folks to systemic change, or even if they weren't linked, both could have happened at the same time. And I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I feel like that has to at least be possible to do in a film of there be both. I don't think it has to be an either or, or it shouldn't have to be an either or. Although again, that, Again, that makes it obviously much more challenging to do. I think there could have been vigilante justice with the men at the beginning. And then still had everything else with these nods to a systemic change. Yeah. And I, I think, again, for the sake of wanting to suffer at the wedding, I don't think she can massacre the wedding party at the bachelor party. I just think she I think that's too much of an impact on Al. And I think Al needs to actually have his life essentially be unscathed at the wedding. And so I agree. I would skip that part, but I do think that she could have, she could have massacred the people at the beginning without, she could have, which in a way she, well, no, I was going to say if her, if she was really going after both. And so it's like, she was doing vigilante justice with the men at the bars, which also felt like kind of a separate thing in the movie. Like there's this overall arc of the situation with Al and there's what's going on with, was Ryan, her boyfriend? with the boyfriend and whatever. And it was like, it was almost kind of weird when you see her out with the fedora guy and Ryan sees her. Cause it's like, Oh wait, that's still happening. Like this is the same 
she's like doing two things at once. She's like sort of living two arcs at once there. And so if one was a vigilante justice arc and the other one were this arc directed at systemic change, that would be really good. Except that that second arc was not directed at systemic change. That was a, the tables got turned on her and that's how she was, she was able to, I guess, it's like, it's almost like systemic change was her backup in that case. I mean, if you want to call that being an example of systemic change, she went, she had the authorities as her plan B, right? She told the lawyer where she was going. She Oh, had yeah. the tape. Okay, that seems important. But she was attempting vigilante justice. She just didn't quite get away with it. Okay, right. Oh, I like that. How does that work for your argument? Because then would she have not done the systemic change if she got her vigilante justice? That doesn't seem right. Yeah, well, yeah, right? Because she wouldn't have been dead. So the cops would never have known that Ryan did it. Maybe she would have turned in the tape and tried to get some justice for Nina, but that probably wouldn't have happened. So yeah, it was really her death. It was her plan going wrong that, well, okay, no, she's not responsible for the lawyer's change that happened on its own. So it's really just the cop, I guess. And the cop wouldn't know that he had been wrong if she hadn't died. What if she had carved the Nina left and then at the wedding sent the video to everybody in the social networks like she had threatened to do with Ryan. So instead of, instead of us relying on a, I mean, that's problematic too, right? Cause apparently we can't rely on cultural um, social stigma to punish sexual assailants any more than we can rely on the justice system. But that would have meant, you know, if she, if they had, if she had sent the video to everyone, all the contacts or whatever, then the reliance would have been on on again on the social and cultural stigmatization, and then and then maybe secondarily, uh, formal justice system, police, and that kind of punishment, the penal system, and then she would, then she would have lived and. I don't know. I kind of, that might be preferable to me because then she's not martyred. I, you know, I, I, it bothers me that she ends up, it, it bothers me that she ends up dead and I don't have, or I didn't anyway, have a really clear, clearly thought out argument as to why other than it just seems like Anina's already dead. We don't need another symbol or another indication that what happened was miserable. We know that it, she dropped out of med school. She's stopped dating. She stopped socializing. She's been leveled as an individual and, but she is at least alive. And then, so if there was some way, if she could have done that and then lived, and then at the very end, we see her go back to med school or like start. Of course, then you're saying that, well, you can actually correct the wrong, but there would have been, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it, it just bothers me that she, she had to die. I do appreciate that. I mean, I, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a reasonable mar martyrdom. She's willing to die for her friend. She was willing to die to, to avenge her, her friend who had all these, had this ter these terrible things happen to her. 
Her friend ended up committing suicide, right? Because of the fallout? I assume so. I don't know if they exactly told us. Said that? Okay. Um, uh, I don't know, but it's interesting to think about. I like that she died, like I said, because I like the pain of the wedding. I appreciated the way they did that. And I think she needed to die for that. That's so, okay. See, that's good. You keep coming back to that. And that's, I, 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 I'm having, I, I, I didn't, I haven't fully uh, apparently comprehended how important that is. And that does, again, you've come back again. You've done that two or three times with me now of, of directed an explanation or a response to the wedding and that and his complete lack of accountability going into the wedding is really crucial. Uh, so in that way, okay, that's a fair response again. That's a good response again. Uh, yeah. And it's just a different kind of film. I don't think the the film that you're outlining could work as well, but I, I really liked the way they made that argument in this film. I, I just found it to be very effective. And yeah, I think you need both her horrible sadness of her situation and then you need his scot-free wedding right after it. And that just really, really, really drove the point home for me. So I've got a couple of small things. Do you have more big, big stuff? No, I don't. My first small thing is, and I think this is my, the smallest of the two. I don't know if it made sense to me that she was always filmed center frame. she i mean it was very swallow except everything was symmetrical and she was center frame she was centered in the coffee shop she was centered on the couches she was centered i mean she was off to the side with her parents and actually to that point that felt better to me that felt to me like the composition put her sideline you know when we've got the two parents sitting next to each other and her off to the side, that to me was a much better visual reflection of her being sidelined by the traumatic events that had happened. And, and I, it, it just, it just bothered me And with the lawyer he has, which was cool. Like his, his house was set up with the two desks that faced each other. And then perpendicular to that were the two couches that faced each other. So it was this very like adversarial arrangement of furniture. It actually occurred to me like, or maybe not adversarial, but unusual. And again, in that she is sitting dead center and he is as well. And maybe that was okay because she, maybe it would have been okay there because she's centered and confronting him. And, and we find out by the end of the scene that they're really on a, similar equal footing it could have also been cool to have had her be sat on a left or a right third and have had him been in the center anyway i don't know that's one that's a thing i just want to say it the other thing was what was the story with the really kind of fantasy dollhouse house the like, I, I you know, I, I don't know what the word is for the aesthetic, but it was so bizarre. It, it was, and, and that was true for a lot of, that was true for the coffee shop as well. 
it was true. There was something where a lot of the montage, the happy montage, I thought it really worked with that, with the Ryan happy dating montage. Cause it was, it was like saccharine, obnoxious. She's in pink and floral and curly and whatever. And he's wearing blues and stripes and, you know, so it was this like, it was this caricature of gender, traditional gender appearances and whatnot. But the parents' house that was like this, it was, what was the Korean film we watched? The Gretel and Hansel? It had like that aesthetic without the menace. And I was, it was just chandeliers like, and realistic paintings of dogs. Wait, the Korean thing or... The Korean film or? No, in this film. Oh, lots okay. and lots and lots of chandeliers and realistic paintings of dogs. And like or very ornate <laughs> furniture with like, again, fairy tale like pastels and figurines. You have any, any, any idea what that's happening there? No, <laughs> I don't. I'm tempted to just like make something up because you asked a question like, oh, maybe I no, I mean, her parents seem very detached. And at some point her dad says something about like, you know, we miss Nina, but we've missed you so much. Come back to us or whatever. And so I don't, and they were very happy that she had a boyfriend. Right, so I don't right. know if it could be the world that is not, that has its eyes closed maybe to this type of assault or to the impacts of the assault or something, you know, part of, part of the world that's blind to it. And I don't know why that would be chandeliers and dogs. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, that's as good an explanation as I've got. Uh, I just, here she's back in blue, which is interesting. This is post the Ryan con- or realization, I think. So she's back in a more, I guess, agentic masculine position. That's cool. I, I don't know. I just, particularly this scene is where I noticed. And I was like, what the fuck is happening here? Who lives in this house? <laughs> uh, anyway. Oh, God, there was one last thing. Hold on. I just had it. It was another small. There are a couple of just quick things that aren't even really. There are just things I want to acknowledge. Having Ryan be a pediatric surgeon and just like this epitome of good. Those are the kinds of things that I love take that, take whatever you're doing and push it to the extreme. So that was fantastic. The father, that actor is the guard who is also the abusive guard in Shawshank Redemption. And I was just like blown away. I was just kudos to that actor for being able to be this like sadistic, twisted guard in Shawshank Redemption and then in this be like sweet dad who can make some jokes and is kind of trying to still be supportive of his daughter he's having this really difficult time and was just this generally just nice homey comforting person I thought that was fantastic uh, or I thought he his performance was fantastic her being a nurse, a naughty nurse, when they were all the med school where this happened, that's another thing that was like just spot on, just brilliant, perfect. There's one other thing I'm forgetting, but it's it, it was a something, it was something like that. So I'm fine moving forward. So we can. Do you have more? You want to grade the film? 
I just that every single person in this entire film I recognized from somewhere else and almost none of them could I place. And I'm so glad you said super bad because right. He's that guy. He's obviously that guy grown up, but I couldn't place it. And every, just every single actor in the film, which doesn't happen to me. Usually I have a bit of a hard time with that, honestly. Mm. And I thought, wow, is this what it's like to just be a regular person who recognizes people? Because like every single time somebody was on, on screen, I was like, who is that? Wait, who is that? It's that person. It's that person. It was crazy. It was crazy. The number of people that I could not place yet knew I knew that they were able to line up in this film. I don't know where they got them all from. Every time there was a new one, I was like, oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I it believe it's what they call it an ensemble cast. And it really was <laughs> that. And I have to say, I've listened to Bo Burnham's comedy. I don't think I've ever actually seen him. And I was, I did not, I had pictured him as someone who looked completely different. I, I think I looked him up twice. I was like, that's Bo Burnham. <laughs> I pictured him in somewhere in the like Louis C.K., Jim Gaffigan, sort of paunchy, old, middle-aged, late middle-aged, scruffy, not this like tall, lean, really handsome. Uh, Who is he? Which, which? He's, he's the boyfriend. He's right. Oh, really? I just didn't. I don't know why. I'd never seen him. I, it, uh, I, like I said, I have no idea why. Anyway, so what we do at the end, at the, the last segment of the sh- of the podcast is we evaluate the film in terms of what it contributes or doesn't overall to a larger cultural discourse and ideology with regard to the topics that it's chosen and how it addresses them and who it has addressed them and the uh, a big picture overall evaluation using a rubric we have developed over the course of the the years we've been doing this podcast and so i uh, i think we're probably on a very similar page here i uh I would really only be choosing between a high A minus and an A. And for me, I, you know, I've voiced my couple concerns, none of which are, none of which take it out of an A, generally speaking, an A category at all. And I am inclined to actually give it the solid A because I think my, my ultimate sort of gnawing issue is still not my issue with the film. It's my issue with my expectations for what I wanted from the film that the film never, it never told me, it never said this is what it's going to be. I think it really comes down to the fact that I must've seen it characterized as rape revenge somewhere. And from the other rape revenge films we've seen, that's, uh, that's where I went somewhere in that framework and it wasn't. And that's actually, actually think about now that may be actually to its credit more than, than a, uh, than a detriment that it, it was able to create a rape revenge film that, that does something different. And I think no less effective in many ways, other than my sadistic (laughs) desire for swift and blinding violence in films of this nature. (laughs) I agree with you. And I I also think just to kind of come back full circle a little bit to the the allusion you made at the beginning to the comedian. 
and how, you know, if you don't get into the violence and if you don't get into the pain, then what does that do for the argument in the film? And we often talk about how the assault is depicted and what does that feel like to the audience and that sort of thing. This film did something very different in that it didn't show the assault. We never even really knew exactly what happened. I mean, we, we have a vague idea, but we were in no way walked through that pain. But I think we were absolutely walked through Cassie's pain. And to say for the 12th time what I've said here about the wedding scene, that I, I felt like that was really important because it showed us the pain that this system causes. And so in a way, they really accomplished something there by showing us the pain of the system without actually having to show us the assault. And that's different. It was, it was still very painful, but it was, it was just, it was a different way to make the argument. And like you said, I, I think no less effective. I don't know if I'd say more of it, differently effective. It was a different effect. kind of film. Agreed. So yeah, anyway, I, I agree with you. I would give it a solid A for sure. I, I don't want to go down into the A minus category because my complaints are small. And I think they're more just the commentary for small ways it could have been better um, or alternate options of like, or you could have done it this way, right. <laughs> you know, yes. thinking of like the end of clue, right? <laughs> that could be how it ended or maybe, um, but I think it was great the way it was. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I absolutely, I think alternate ways of doing things that, that could or could have been worse or not. It could have been something you see it, you cut it into the film as an alternate take. And once you see it in context, it could be great. Or you might be like, eh, you know, that doesn't do it as well. So, but I do, I do want to say that <clears throat> I, I want to say now cut from what you said, Laura, a couple of things. I totally agree with what you're saying is one. I had a moment of total, like it concern when, when uh, Madison gives her the phone. Cause I had the moment of like, Oh my God, are they going to show us the scene? Because if they show us the scene, it's going to create all kinds of problems. Because what uh, can I articulate that concisely quickly? Because if we see the scene, we end up in this rabbit hole of what are the particulars of what happened. Even if that's, well, this was obviously extremely just uh, ultimately horrific, horrible thing, or it was a, somehow it was a, um, something where somebody could possibly defend what was happening, whatever it was, didn't matter what it was. It would have, and it would never, none of what them showing us would have been as effective as not showing us, which is very much our issue with it is if you wouldn't have showed us all the googly moogly, it would have been more scary, which is why the opening scene before the credits was the best part of it. Uh, and so googly moogly was exactly the right word for that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and then, uh, I'm sorry. Um, and, and so, and then I just want to bring that back around to acknowledging that in, in some ways, although just a totally different film, there's some underlying bit here where, where the comedian failed and where funny games succeeded, this film also accomplished the, the success similar successes as funny games and those two films are the the funny games and the comedian are on sides of a continuum that we have we're starting to figure out here where the comedian had plot notes that were horrific but didn't show them and that was to a great detriment of the impact and the 
argument that the episode was structured to try and accomplish. And Funny Games is uh, the Haneke film from 97 that denies us as an audience the moments of the horrific moments of violence and cruelty, but conveys the aftermath and the impact of that, of those horrific events. And it, it denies those moments to us as an audience with a very deliberate commentary as to us being viewers and our complicit complicity and our complicity in a, in a watching and consuming media that relies on or often relies on showing us the phenomenon that it is trying to critique and uh, an even bigger theme, a let motif, if you will, that, that Laura and I have explored on the podcast is how do you show content? How do you reference content? How do you reference events in ways that are effective and useful and powerful for critiquing and commenting on those events? For example, sexual assault, how much do you show? What do you show? Do you need to show do you not need to show because you want to make a film that addresses this issue, whether it's sexual assault or whatever twisted violent thing that's happening in whatever horror movie you've got, there's gotta be a, you're, you're, you're always balancing showing commenting and that can get very problematic because viewers can end up, you, you always have to have a sense of viewers and their empathy can it can be a cautionary tale or it can be an instruction manual. It can be a, uh, this is horrible and terrible and everybody should feel bad that it's ever happened. Or it can be a, a salacious and titillating and gratuitous catering to the, the, the worst impulses among us. And then we have this film, which was very much in the funny games camp where we didn't have to see the film we didn't have to see the phone we didn't have to see this we really didn't have to see we didn't really get any violence there's no violence in this film or blur blood blur blood or gore bloodshed or gore um there's not even ever any really like overt cruelty that we see happen in an interaction and yet very much we got the effect of the cautionary tale and the the very upsetting this is how damaging and upsetting and problematic all this is. And I, I, I don't know. I, that just occurred to me as it, as, as there are very few films that we have seen, I think like funny games. Um, there are even fewer. So the original I spit in your grave, the very first one by Zarchi in the seventies, 78, I think the violence is filmed and done in ways that, are successful for producing empathy and understanding of the the victim the survivor and what she goes through and the and conveying the the real traumatic horror of going through an experience like that in in ways that very few other films have particularly with regard to sexual assault and so that can be done but that's very few and far between I think even fewer and further between are the films that consciously don't show the horror and are still able to convey 
a similar reaction. And I, I have to say that th- this film is really part of that club. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. And I love the spectrum that you laid out there. The comedian was, is on the most, or I guess I should say the least impactful side of that spectrum mm-hmm. because it's dealing with really important shoulds, but it doesn't give you the pain of why which is really the important part of that argument. If you're going to say you should do this, you say, well, why? Oh, because this is what it feels like to not do that. But they just skip over all the why. They just assume you know, and you don't need to experience that and you don't need to feel it. And that really, really hurts the should argument. It just, it leaves it very empty. And I I do think that was true also of the people under the stairs, that it made a, a really nice argument in terms of laying out the argument. You knew what they were arguing, but you didn't feel what they were arguing because what you felt were silly little chase scenes. And, you know, like I said, it was a fun date movie and it might be nice to hide behind your popcorn or something, but that's not the point. That's, they just left that out. And, and then, you know, you have films, I suppose, where you show the pain and you feel the pain because you're watching the pain, but that is another interesting kind of spectrum that you're discussing here where you put funny games and where this film would fall. And I like that films that you feel the pain, but you don't actually see the violence to feel the pain. They, they give you the pain somehow, some other way. And it's important that it's still the pain that's appropriate to the argument. Like the argument they're making, you feel the, you feel the brutality of it. You just don't necessarily always have to see the actual violence in order to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Now I'm, I'm wanting to bump. I, I was happy with the solid A pretty much immediately. I'm, ha- I'm now thinking it should be bumped into the higher range of the solid A. Uh, anyway, I'm, that's where I'm at. I, that's, I think that's everything I got for, for now. Yeah. Same here. That was super fun. That was yeah. super fun. And it's funny also that it did not occur to me that it was a rape revenge film until we started talking. Like that's just, that's interesting. Interesting because it's so different from how they're always done but it was really effective for what they did. So cool. Mm-hmm. Kudos to them for laying out a new way to do this. Mm-hmm. All right. So we appreciate you listening all the way to the end. We are Laura and Marshall and horror films are our collective nightmares. I don't know what it'll be, but you know, the next time I show up late or park in the wrong spot, whatever it is. Um, yeah, uh, no, that's fair. Um, park in the wrong spot. (laughs) (laughs) Way to dig up the old, old dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. That's a that's like a me level grudge keeping right there, Laura. I, I thought you were a more forgiving and forgetting kind of person than I am. <laughs> Just file them away. Mm. That was the night we made fruitcake with your mom. Actually, that was really fun. Oh yeah. Okay. There you go. Fruitcake and grudges. They're it's a great combination. <laughs> Oh, goodness. 
Sorry, my cat muted me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm too drunk to do the podcast, Laura. What? <laughs> so bad. I'm, <laughs> so hold on, I'm gonna do that again, and then you should be like, "No, no, no, we're we're gonna do it." <laughs> Are you game for that, or do you have another idea? Okay, sure. sure. <clears throat> I think I'm too drunk to do the podcast, Laura. As long as you're awake, I don't mind. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'll handle it all. You just, you just, you just sit there and breathe. That's kind of twisted, but that's what I got. <laughs> Thank you for being so late. I loved it. This was this conversation. I, we've been having good conversations. I, I mean, we always do, but even amongst those, this for me, like, again, it, it just wasn't the movie I wanted it to be, but it was totally a movie. I was happy to wait a year to watch. I mean, I would have rather seen it a year ago when we first saw the poster, but or whenever it was supposed to be initially released pre, before the whole COVID debac- disaster ha- started happening. But uh, yeah, so you are absolutely set for one, one if not two picks in a row, Laura. So cool. And no, I know, that was. Oh, I wanted to let you. I know it's late, so if you need to jump and jump ship real quick, that's that's fine. I totally. Yeah, that was great. That was super great. And I, as always, I like it more after having our conversation because a lot of the stuff you brought up, I just wasn't hadn't gone there on some of those points. So that was really really good. Um, you did that. I you totally have did no that one now. Me too. You totally did that for me too. Which, with with the the wedding scene was so crucial, and it was it it it, it totally justified so many things that were kind of gnawing at me or bugging me, and and I. I didn't realize just how crucial it was for him to be totally unmarred going into that. So, so same, I feel the same, particularly this time. So. I mean, I, I don't know if I said this to you in my text message when I, I, I was texting you about wanting to do a remake of people under the stairs and how I've been like sort of obsessed with this idea lately. Like I can't yeah. stop thinking about it. And if I had a week or two, I would swear I would sit down and just like bust out a, a draft of a script and then want to start yeah. working on it with you. Um, maybe that still might happen. I keep finding myself like it's late at night or I, you know, and I just want to get started and I, I don't want to go down that road. Hey, I um, completely agree. It's a new idea. I went from, I never feel comfortable saying these things with you because you're a single parent, but I went from, the first actual days off I'd had in probably a year and a half where I took like two naps a day for like a week <laughs> back to when I realized fall semester started Thursday instead of Tuesday. And then I got, I had another separate uh, event get scheduled at the bar and I went back to, I went back immediately back to like triage, which is also part of the reason we're doing this an hour and however long late. So, and I say that to say that I, I think it's a great idea. I mean, I pitched it to you. I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you agree with it. I, I appreciated all your messages. Maybe we should schedule a time to just like brainstorm out an outline. I would be totally oh, it'd be so much that. fun. 
It'd be so much fun. And I have so many ideas already. And I totally want to do that. I just don't have the mental bandwidth either, given that the semester is starting. Every time I, I sit down and want to do it, I have to redirect that energy to something else right now. Yes, what which I was is exactly was, what I was going to say too. I, I'm sorry. Was that, that was my whole point, which didn't mean to be that long, was I'm also as enthusiastic as you are. I just immediately went to triage for other things that took up that mental space. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm distracting from what you're getting at. I agree. Fudge sickle.